Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church. Uh, my name is Pastor Josh De La Rosa, and in this series, we've been looking at this question right here. Is the God that I read about in the Word really the God of this world? And so, so far we've looked at this question in relationship to the origins of, of the universe. And we've asked, is the God of the Bible, the God of the Word, really the God who made the universe? And last week we focused our attention upon the origins of, of the human body. And, and again, we're asking the same question. Is, is the story that I read about in Genesis... What really happened? Or are we to treat this as more of just sort of a feel-good story, a tale almost? So today what I want to do is I want to look at that uh, same question, set of questions in relation to the mind. And we'll we'll really ask the question, did God really create us with a mind uh, to think, uh, to understand who he is, to, to know how he designed reality? Uh, did he did he give us a mind to reason, to feel emotions, and then and then even to act? Or are we to believe that that our mental framework is more of an accident, unintentional, unguided? And these, again, are important issues. They lead us to crucial questions. And so I want to do the same thing we've been doing uh, through this series. I want to head back to the uh, beginning of the, the Bible, look at the book of Genesis, back to the creation of the first man and woman. And let's look again at, at how mankind was created. Created different from the animals. We looked at that last time, but mankind was uniquely made. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It reads this. It reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, this is far more personal language than, than what we saw where God created the universe, the earth, the unique features of our solar system, the the vegetation, the fish, the birds, the wildlife, the creatures that crawl on the ground. Here, the language shifts from uh, the phrasing, let there be, you know, let there be light, or, or let the earth produce, or let the water swarm. I mean, let there be language shifts right here to a very uh, personal language. So we see this impersonal language shifting to this, let us make man in our image. Now, this is huge. I don't want you to miss this. This is personal language. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so what this does is this puts the creation of the first man in a framework that is uniquely personal to God. And and then the command that follows sets the man apart from the rest of the creation. So let's keep reading. And they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth. And so, now this responsibility and this role really would require something of Adam. It would require, for him to pull off this responsibility and role, it would require Adam and his descendants to have a, a different mental ability to exercise this role, this assignment. And so I want to I just talk about that and look at that issue. Uh, the man would need to be more responsible. He'd need to be able to rule and lead and direct and, and, uh, and, 
and operate as a steward in order to, to carry the stewardship of, of ruling the earth and, and what God has made, it would require some things of him. Now let's shift for a moment to a video on the intelligence of, of some animals. And what are we supposed to do with the research that shows animals have amazing abilities? Uh, there are some, and you can find all sorts of videos online about animals and their uh, their ability to problem solve and, and um, even to respond to um, to people. I mean, in, in, if you have an animal, you know this about your animal. Uh, and so the question here that I want to look at for a moment, moment is, is there really much of a difference? Can animals be taught to develop their skills and their intelligence? Can they even grow to a point where they could handle more and more responsibility and maybe even fit into the storyline that we read here in Genesis? Could they have been assigned greater responsibility or why, why was it that humans were? Check out this brief video that highlights uh, the animal intelligence. And so just a few clips. Intelligence takes different forms. Some people are fantastic at math. Some are great at fixing cars. Some can speak several languages. And others know how to understand and create beautiful music. There are simply no limits to how unique intelligence can be. Some animals are exactly the same, with certain species displaying unbelievable levels of intelligence in certain tasks. In today's video, we will take a look at the top 10 cleverest animals in the world. Crow. Well, it turns out that members of the crow family understand better than some humans do about the importance of waiting for the traffic lights to change. Crows living in urban and busy areas are known to take nuts from trees and then place them in the road for passing cars to crack open the shells. Then, after waiting patiently for the lights to change, they return to the street to retrieve their dinner. A very clever example of creature innovation. One famous crow that hit the headlines was called Betty. She had been studied by a group of Oxford University students who watched Betty casually pick up a piece of wire in her cage and used it on a nearby object to bend it at one end, turning it into a hooked tool. The tool then allowed Betty to hoist up a small container of meat from inside a plastic tube to give herself an early lunch. The feat is proof that crows are capable of complex problem solving that is similar to our own. 8. Octopus the octopus is an invertebrate with the power and skill to screw the lid off a jar it is trapped in. This animal is still poorly understood, but scientists are constantly discovering new and impressive octopus abilities. They can solve problems, play games, navigate through mazes, and have an impressive short-term memory. So, how can an octopus be put in the same category as a worm? Well, the agility, curiosity, and power of these creatures set them apart from all other invertebrates. Now, you can find all sorts of videos like this on animals' abilities, but you know, those are some fascinating things. And, and again, there, there are some problem-solving skills that you see there with the octopus, uh, problem-solving skill with the crow. I mean, and, and if you watch that whole video, you'd see 10 different animals with amazing abilities. And, you know, right before COVID, our family, we were at Universal Studios, and, and we went to see the Animal Actors show. Maybe you've seen that before. The fun show is an engaging show, and, and clearly it highlighted 
how animals can be trained, and, and they're trained to do all sorts of things. And in fact, that's why there's stars in some of the movies. But now, there's a limit, though, isn't there? Now, some of you, you have met my dog. Here's a picture of my dog, Lady. She's great. She's, uh, most of the time, I should say, she's great. She's 12 years old. Uh, she She's great with people. She's great with kids, especially really young kids. She's a very gentle dog, and she seems to know uh, when we're sad, she sometimes when we're praying about something or if, if we're praying even for our meal, sometimes she, she starts sort of almost tucking um, and and trying to participate sometimes. And it's almost like she can recognize when we're uh, working through something difficult. Uh, she's starting to slow down. Something I've noticed right now is she's, she is moving a lot slower than she used to, uh, but she is she is quite smart, I'd say, on some levels. Maybe everyone feels this way about their dog. But, uh, for example, she knows that she can sort of sneak around the home when we're not there, and she she knows when we're not home. Uh, she's not supposed to go places. Sometimes uh, we, even recently, we came home, and, and I heard her barking. She usually barks whenever we're at the door, but I heard her barking, but it, she sounded like she was pretty far away. And so I walked in the door, and there she was upstairs coming down the stairs, She's not supposed to be upstairs, uh, and it had been years, I think, since she's been upstairs, but apparently she knows when we're not home, and uh, she's not supposed to sleep on the couch, but sometimes if I get up in the middle of the night, there she is up on the couch, and so she she's aware of, of what she's probably supposed to do and not supposed to do, so there's a limit. I, I can't trust her with with too much. When our kids were young, I never would have thought to put her in charge of, of watching the kids. I never would have thought to ask her to fix dinner or to help with math. I would never show her how to pay our bills or wash our dishes or to help me work through a frustration. You know, you get it. There, there are limits with my dog and, and animals. And Now back to Genesis. Here we see God distinguishing between mankind and all other living creatures. Adam was given the ability to, to rule, to have dominion, to be in charge. And this would require a certain really mental ability. And the mind that we have speaks to an intelligent designer who gave us these abilities. So in Genesis 1.26, we see God expressing the plan. We see uh, God, the triune God, the triune involvement even. So tr- Trinity, the triune God, he is one God, but in in three persons, and, and that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which this explains the pronouns that are used here in Genesis one twenty six. So again, look at it. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So we could easily spend a series right here on, on God and how he is Trinity, but for our purposes, I mainly want to highlight that within the Godhead, there is a relational unity of these three distinct persons, all equally God, but distinct persons. Now, God, he, he was not created. He always has been. He always will be. He is eternal. And, and as God is creating on these days of creation, here in verse 26 of chapter 1, we get to eavesdrop on God's plan and his intention just before he acts. This was actually first in the mind of God, and then it's expressed and so the Bible references the involvement of the different members of the Trinity. So God, three in one, all being involved in creation. So if you go to the back of the Bible, Revelation 4, 
verse 11, you, you see this reference to the Father, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Now that's a reference to the Father playing his role in creating. Now look at John chapter 1 verse 3. John 1 3, this is specifically speaking of Jesus and you'd have to Read John chapter 1 to get this reference fully. But in John 1, 3, speaking of the Son of God, Jesus, it reads this. All things were created through him and apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created. So that's in reference to the Son. Son is involved in creation. Revelation 4, 11 says the Father is involved in creation. Now look at over in Job chapter 33 Verse 4, Job 33, 4, very interesting verse here, says the Spirit of God has made me. So here's a reference to the Spirit of God involved in creation. It says, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And so there's the Spirit involved in creation. So you have Father, Son, Spirit, all involved in creating. Now I bring this up because there's a relationship and a perfect unity. God had a plan where all members of the Trinity are working together. There's involvement with all of them in the act of creation. So let's get back to Genesis 1. Moving to verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So God expresses the plan in verse 26. Let's make man, let us make man in our image. That's him expressing the plan. And then here in verse 27, he executes the plan. So three times in Genesis 1, 26 and verse 27, we see this phrase, the image of God. And I want to highlight some aspects of the image of God. So it's used and it's repeated to give us a sense of the emphasis here. So in some ways, not in all ways, but in some ways, we bear, as humans, we bear his image We've been made in God's image, it tells us, in his likeness in some ways. Now, the Hebrew word there is selem, and it just means image or form. But it's the visual appearance of something or of someone. And, and, you know, the older I get, the more people say to me, wow, you really resemble your father. The, The older you get, the more and more and more you look like your father. And I think, yeah, I think that's true. And, and, and I wonder if as, as my sons get older, if that will actually be the same. And, I, you know, I, I, there's some things I hope they don't resemble. <laughs> I hope they can retain their hair. But, you know, in, in terms of humans, we, we understand that. We resemble uh, our earthly fathers. We can see some traits and characteristics. Now, in terms of, of being created by God, we've been made in his image. We actually resemble God in some specific ways. It's also important to note that this phrase, the image of God, is not used of the other living creatures. And so it's not used of the fish. It's not used of the bird, the livestock, the, the, the crawling reptiles. This is specifically a phrase that is unique to humans. And some describe the creation of humans as the, the crowning act in the days of creation. So we've been made in, in his image, and it means we have the ability to obey and understand him, our, our ability is to process information. We, God has made us to be able to understand and learn and grow. And we, we're able to reason and make sense of the world that God has placed us in. 
Now, God, as far as our ability to understand him, God is, he is both infinite and he's personal. Infinite, let's start with that. He's, he's transcendent. He, here's a chart here you can see uh, giving sort of a comparison between uh, this understanding of God being infinite and us pretty separate from him. There's this chasm between when we think of God being infinite and transcendent. It means he, he can't be contained by time, by space, by power. He, he, he doesn't have the limits like we have. And so in these ways, there's a huge gap in our ability to fully know God and understand him, especially on his level. But, but we can certainly learn in regards to the things he's revealed about himself because he is not just infinite, but he's also personal. So while you see the chasm there related to God being infinite, uh, the chasm is removed because we've been made in his image. Since we're made that way, he has made us personal. We can know some things about him, and we're the only ones who can, in a personal way, know this. This, this again, sets us apart uh, from the rest of creation. We can know things that animals can't know. He's revealed things to us. He is knowable. Also, this phrase, the image of God, highlights how, how we can use language. Just as God can communicate within the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, communicate. Just as God speaks and expresses his intention, we can do the same thing. And since the fall of man, the sin of Adam, we, we struggle in our communication. We struggle to, to communicate ideas. We struggle with using language uh, in a way that is, is helpful. We, we struggle to communicate clearly and accurately. This is, this is why we said, he said, she said, you said. I, I thought I heard you say, or no, no, I didn't say that. I said this. I mean, you know, we just have a hard time with communication. One of my old-time favorite movies, The Princess Bride, Inigo Montoya, you keep using that word. I, I do not think it means what you think it means. Communication. I mean, this is a challenge. We've been given, though, this ability to communicate. And we don't always do it effectively, but this is a major part of being made. In the image of God, we have this ability to communicate. That comes from uh, this issue. Also, being made in the image of God means we have creative abilities. Now, God, he is, he is the original creator. We see him in, in Genesis, the, uh, the days of creation, calling things out into existence, speaking uh, the world that we know, the universe, into existence, forming things. And God is the one who did that. He's the original creator. And here's the thing. He has made us to reflect his image in that way as well. We are creative. We're not always, you know, there's, God gives us the ability to think and have ideas and to invent things. There's this creativity. And this is another reflection of who he made when he made us. Finally, we're relational. This idea of being made in the image of God, just as God has this relational unity, as I mentioned, within the Trinity. We also can relate to him. We can respond back to him. And we can relate to others. So you have people in your life that you relate to. Uh, your, whether it's your family, your friends, your coworkers. Uh, we are relational creatures. Uh, and we also have an eternal soul. What I mean is, there's more to you than just your physical body and your organs and that's certainly a major question for many. But God's word tells us, and we looked at this before, Ephesians 3.11 says that God has put eternity in our hearts. God put eternity there. It says no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end, but 
essentially we are hardwired though with eternity. If you would say that you have a deep sense that you think that there's more to you than just the physical, no, there, that's true. There is. There's a spiritual you. It's because God made you in this way, again, in his image. Now, even after Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of man, whenever humanity is referenced, uh, the Bible still acknowledges this. So the Bible still references that humans bear the image of God, even after the fall. So Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, uh, we see how the descendants of Adam are spreading, and there's a reference made there, that they're made in the image of God. And just before it lists out all the descendants of Adam. And then it says in Genesis 9, after the flood, Genesis 9, verse 6 and 7, points back to the issue of how we're made in God's image, and we still have a role to play on the earth. And so even after Adam's rebellion, the image of God, it, though it is marred, though it is damaged because of sin, it is still intact. And this issue of being made in God's image, it has huge implications. We're not just another animal. We, we humans have this exceptional aspect to us. We're, we're self-aware, for example, which means we know some things. But more than that, we know that we know some things. We know that we're thinking we have a mind, we have a will, we have emotions. Our, our emotions are those, are those reactions that we have to life and to its circumstances. God uh, has made us in this way to feel things. Some people may, may lean more to the thinking than the feeling, but, but we have emotions that God has, has given us, which God himself, he has emotions, which is why, again, we've been made in his image and in some ways, we're like him. Now, God is in control of his emotions. Uh, the, these emotions are not in control of him. He can choose them. He can change them. He can direct them. Now, when it comes to humans, this is a question that comes up for us. Can we do that? Can we change our emotions? Can we change the way we feel? And how do we go about doing that? Now, when I'm, when I'm working through an emotion... It's difficult. Sometimes I can feel really captured by the way that I feel. And I have to uh, respond to my emotions in a specific way if I'm going to make progress or I find myself getting stuck. Now, a question that some would ask is, can we truly change our emotions? Uh, I believe that we can. I believe we can work to change our emotions and redirect our emotions. Now, I'm certainly not trying to devalue your emotions or your feelings, because I have feelings and emotions too. When it comes to human emotions, we don't really like uh, to be taught on these because these are strong. When we feel an emotion come up, it's strong. It pulls hard on the fibers of our body. We feel our emotions oftentimes. They're often attached to painful realities, to memories, uh, sometimes to deep, deep hurts. And, and but look at some of these definitions out of the world regarding our emotions. First one from the Oxford Dictionary says that our emotions are a strong feelings such as love, fear, or anger. Uh, the part of a person's character that consists of feelings. Those are emotions. Here's another definition from Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. First, a conscious mental reaction such as anger or fear subjectively experienced as strong feeling usually directed towards a specific object and typically accompanied by 
physiological and behavioral changes in the body. Another definition there from that Merriam-Webster, a state of feeling, our emotions. Now, if you were to look this up on Wikipedia, here's what you currently find on Wikipedia. Emotions are this, psychological states brought on by neurophysiological changes, variously associated with thoughts, feelings, behavioral responses, and a degree of, of pleasure or displeasure. The next statement says this, there is currently no scientific consensus on a definition. It's hard to pin it down. It says, emotions are often intertwined with mood, with temperament, personality, disposition, or creativity. And there's a handful of links you could find to sort of go at all those different words. But here's the thing about emotions. We know they're real. We know we have them. But in reality, this is a very, very difficult area to understand and to nail down. One thing is for sure, we're not simply more complex AI. I mean, we're not just more complex uh, artificial intelligence. No, we're persons made in God's image. And our emotions are just another part of that personhood. And there's a question related to our emotions of whether we truly can control them or whether they control us. And when it comes to God, God made you. He made your, He gave you a mind. Uh, when it comes to God, though, he is in control of his emotions. They don't control him. And when it comes to us, you know, we can control ours as well. A good example of this is, for example, you may feel anger over an argument or a stubbed toe. Maybe you have a real good reason to be angry. You feel, you feel justified in your anger, and you just give full vent to it. And maybe someone left a chair out where they shouldn't have left. You stub your toe on it, and now you're just hot and angry, and the lava is flowing. And so maybe you're so angry that you've, you've lost it. Now you're yelling. But then all of a sudden, someone knocks at the door, and you're mid-outburst, and you hear a knock on the door, and you calm yourself down. You calm yourself down. You know, the truth is, you and I, we can stop and shift the lava flow. Now, I've done this myself. When I'm experiencing any number of emotions, I, I, can, I can actually stop and shift that emotion. I can bring myself under control. I can exercise self-control. Now, we don't always do that. I don't always do that. You probably don't always do that. But point is, we can do that. Now, we still have to work through our, our emotions. We still have to work through the anger. We still have to work through the sadness. We still have to work through our grief. I'm not saying that we should deny real emotions because this is a real part of our human experience. What we need is we need ways to work through these whenever they come up. Often, we need help with that. You know, God can help you with that. God can help us. He also often uses people to help us work through our emotions, our memories from the challenges we face, the circumstances we walk through, the hurts that we bear in life. The perspective of the Bible is, is that we need to lead, to direct, to master our minds so that we are not driven by the many thoughts and emotions and feelings that just come and seize us. So in the Bible, we see a major emphasis on the mind and, and how we're to go about shifting our mindset. First, pursue knowing Christ as, as the priority. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. One of, the, one of the church leaders in the first century, I'll be looking at a handful of verses from him. To the church in Philippi, he writes, More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things, and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ. He's, 
He's saying, things that I experienced in the past, accomplishments I had built up, I consider those things like trash, like rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. And he says in verse 10, my goal is to know him. His goal, Paul's goal, is to know Christ, he says, in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So Paul made this a priority in his life. Uh, Philippians 3.10, my goal is to know Christ the power of it, and the power of his resurrection. I meet many people who, who just add knowing Christ uh, to the many things on their bucket list that they hope to get around to someday. And so this being a lower priority for some makes it very difficult to shift our mindset uh, because we're to pursue knowing Christ as a major priority. This is, this is key to life. It's not something we should just get around to. Knowing personally the God who made you in his image ought to be a high, high, high pursuit. Knowing how much he loves you, knowing him personally and knowing what he's done for you. Another aspect of shifting our mindset is to look at life through what God has said. And so Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, the very next book in the Bible reads this. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we have, have not stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So look at life through what God has said. This is a prayer asking that people see things from God's perspective, that, that we would see things from God's angle. Another set of verses, same book, Colossians 3, verses two and, or verses 1 through 3, it says, So if you've been raised with Christ, meaning if you're a Christ follower, you've been raised with Christ, you were dead in your sins, now you've been raised to a new life in Christ, you put your trust in him, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Again, almost like what we said originally, pursue Christ as the priority. Paul writes here, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so we tend to take a view. We tend to take a view on things and really an angle on things that are really the same as this world's view. So we're told here to look at life from a heavenly perspective. How would we look at our current circumstances differently if we were to consider that one day we will be not on earth anymore. This world is not all that there is. There is This is temporal here. And yes, it can be so difficult here. It can be full of pain here and hurt here. But God, he can actually help us see life differently as we consider and set our mind on things above. Set our minds on heavenly things. We can look back and we can look at the experiences, the circumstances, the difficulty here on earth through an eternal perspective. Now, Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, he got trapped in earthly thinking. At one point, Jesus turned to him and rebuked him. It says, Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> this is a famous scene in the scripture. Jesus is actually talking about how he's going to go to the cross and he's going to give his life. And, and Peter basically says, no, there's, there's another way. There's a different way. And, and Jesus rebukes him. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus says, you're a hindrance to me. Why? Well, because you're not thinking about God's concerns but humans' concerns. Basically, Peter, you're looking at things from man's point of view, and it's tripping you up. So a lot of times, in my mind, I have to 
again, shift my, my, my thoughts, my mindset. And I have to shift to look at what, what has God actually said here? What has God told us here? What is God's word speaking here? Now, another way to shift our mindset is to meditate on God's word as a practice. So back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it reads this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. Now that is an emotion we feel. Worry. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Then it reads, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. So when our mind is flooded with worry, which I've been there, when there's a thought that I I just, I'm getting anxious about, uh, we can just talk to ourselves about it. We can just stew on it and just go back and forth, stewing and stewing and stewing and, and worrying about, or... We could say, well, I'm just going to tell myself to stop it. And, you know, that, that doesn't often change anything. But what we're told here is this. We're told when we're, when we're struggling with something, when we're worried about something, we're taught here to talk to God about it rather than just to talk to ourselves about it and let it, let it stew in our mind. No, we're told to talk to God about it and then to tell ourselves his words. We're to think his thoughts. We're to, we're to think about things that are true, that are honorable, we're, things that are pure and so on. He gives us a list of of things to meditate on. We're to dwell on these very things and fill our mind with his truth. It's not enough to just stop thinking about things that worry us. It's, it, what we have to do is we have to talk to God about it and add truth, add God's word into our, into our mind and, and, and meditate on it, mull on it. Let it, let it uh, ruminate in our hearts and minds and, and then talk to God more about that. Finally, to shift mindsets requires humility as a starting point. And Jesus, he modeled this. Take a look at Philippians again, chapter 2, verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Some places, some translations of the Bible said, have the mind that, that was in Christ Jesus. But adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So Jesus' attitude here and his mindset, it was one of humility. When we take this humble mindset, this helps us behave differently. It helps us behave differently so we can see others differently, that we can also treat others differently. If I can choose to take the right mindset, then I'll find far more solutions, and not just continuing problems. Now, we've only just scratched the surface of this area of the way we think, and I want to look even further next week at this, but we've covered a lot of ground so far in this series. The God of the Word is the God of the universe. He's the God of the human body, and He's the God of the mind. And next week, I want to look a little further into how to understand the framework that we use to form our beliefs. And so I hope you'll join us. And I'd like to highlight a couple of next steps. The first is this, to spend more time expressing gratitude for the way that he has made us unique. We've been made in God's, God's image. Why don't, why don't you take some time this week to thank him for making you 
in his image. Second, take one specific step towards shifting a mindset. Uh, And I hope that as you do that, that God will redirect your thinking, redirect your thoughts. And so let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, your uh, word and how it speaks to us, Lord, about reality. We pray, Father, that, um, that as we understand you more through your word, Lord, you would develop in us uh, a deep appreciation uh, for how you made us and who you made us to be. Uh, Lord, thank you for giving us the capacity to know you, to communicate with you, uh, to share our lives with others, uh, to uh, help carry out uh, your plans in this world. Lord, thank you for the great privilege it is to be made in your image. And I pray, Father, that as uh, as we're moving through life, Father, you would help us to yield more and more of our mindset back to you. We thank you, Lord, for your help through your word. Please, Lord, help us to store more of it deep inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I wanted to briefly share an update about our, our advanced horizontal capital campaign. A couple of years ago, too, we launched a, a capital campaign to purchase property and, and take the necessary steps to develop the property. And so the campaign is coming to a close at the end of this month, and so many of you have given sacrificially. Overall, this has been a really unifying effort. And so uh, many of you have made a pledge and and you're coming to the end of fulfilling that pledge. And I just would encourage you to prayerfully, if you're able to fulfill your pledge, prayerfully do so. Uh, This season of a campaign, you know, as you have potentially been one that pledged uh, two years ago, a pledge is is really a, a decision you've made after prayer, and, and maybe some thinking and maybe even some conversations in your family to really consider, here's what I, with God's help, would love to give through this campaign. And so it's not a vow, uh, but as you've been uh, walking through this past two years, we just realized circumstances may have changed. Uh, if you're able to fulfill your pledge, we would encourage you to do so. But if circumstances have changed and, and you, you just have questions about if you can do that, I would just say uh, this was a a pledge that you made to the Lord. And so I would just go back to God and then just follow his lead on how uh, he would have you move forward. If you have given towards this uh, effort, uh, even without pledging, or you'd like to continue to give, there's still time to do that. It will really help with our phase one uh, development. If you've not yet joined in the effort by giving a gift, but you'd like to do that, you can check our advanced horizontal webpage. Any gifts will help propel our our efforts and our development. Uh, this has been a pretty exciting season for us. And if you plan to continue to give to the project, that, that's really great. It will, it will go a long way to helping us as we uh, chart the course and keep moving forward uh, towards our future home of our church. So thanks again uh, for your giving. And let's continue. Today, we pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.